Good morning. You may have a seat. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Wide awake? Yeah? I kind of worked the rain out for everybody this morning, so you can thank me later. Yeah, you can thank me later, though. It's fine. You don't have to thank me now. I get it. Um, no, aren't you glad it kind of cleared up? It was crazy. What was that all about? Um, so... Uh, just to let you know, uh, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new here, I'd love to get to meet you after church or chat with you if it's your first time. If you're watching with us online, thanks for joining us. Let us know that you're there, and uh, we are so glad to see everybody this morning. But uh, we do have a grill out after church. Is everybody going to hang out for a minute? Try, you know, think about it. I get it. Pray. Pray between now and then, okay? Um, but uh, last week, we kind of got into a new series uh, called 5678. Does everybody kind of remember that? And I think um, I might have given a couple people the wrong impression about me. I want to apologize just starting off. Are you guys okay if I give you an apology? You know, some people thought that when I talked about Ruthie last week that she was just not a very good person after I preached, right? And I apologize. I'm the bad guy from last week, okay? I'm actually the villain in our family, right? Did you guys know that? Um, Really, we have, Ruthie and I, just so you guys know, I'm being very transparent. We have a phenomenal marriage, just so you guys know. And it's specifically when I do everything that she asks, okay? So just wanted you guys to know that in case anybody was wondering. If you can tell who the villain is when I say that, you know. I'm just giving you some hints. All right. She's watching online, so I'm making sure she knows. And, and I feel safer while she's at home. So, <clears throat> uh, anyways, sorry. Uh, but last week, we did open up in Romans 5. Everybody kind of remembers that. We're going to go through 6, obviously. And I I kind of explained that these chapters, for me, were revolutionary. They literally changed my life. They changed the course. My goal, when I I went to go read them for one of the first times verbatim, I read them verse by verse and just went through the whole thing, I wanted to kind of course correct some teenagers that I was teaching. And in that, I found that I got a course correction. And it literally drastically changed my whole life. I read it a few weeks ago, and I thought, man... I'm so glad so many years ago that I, that I read that, and I feel like I even got another course correction, but just, just knowing that, man, I'm just still on the same journey about learning and reading and understanding God a little bit better as we go. So if you guys can hang in with, there with me, um, we're going to start again in Romans 6, and obviously it's a continuation of chapter 5, uh, but it says in Romans 6 in the New King James, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So this is where I started to see something when I first was reading it. I started to see that clearly Paul has said something pretty extravagant. Okay, this, this verse, after going through chapter 5, I thought, why did he say that? What was the purpose? And I, I want to kind of conclude or just start off with, If anybody thinks that grace, when we preach grace, or you hear people talking about grace, if you think that it produces more sinning, I want you to know you probably don't fully understand grace yet, and that's okay. Um, If you think that grace people or pastors, when they talk about grace, that the purpose of preaching it is so that we can go out and do bad things, 
I don't think you have a full grasp on what grace actually is. And then if you think possibly, which I've thought this, but um, if you think that, man, I can't wait till they hurry up and get done talking about that grace stuff, you might not fully get grace yet. Like, man, I can't wait till they get to the meat. I can't wait till they get to the deep stuff. You might not get it. I was the same way even at Bible school. I remember I learned about God's love. And at the end of Bible school, I learned <laughs> the same thing that I learned that came into it was, man, God just loves us extravagantly. Um, I do believe that grace should sound amazing. I think that it should be one of the most extravagant, wild things that we've ever heard. I think that it should tell each person, it, you should get to the place where you ask the question, even me, like I can receive this grace, like I don't have to be this type of person in order to receive this grace that Matt's talking about or different people are talking about or that you're seeing in scripture that you should even ask, even me. So let's, let's, let's pick back up in uh, verse 1. It says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, it says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And it's interesting, I think, that he poses a question with a question. He's trying to answer a question with another question. And wouldn't you think, like his answer to uh, should we continue in sin, wouldn't you think he would say, if you continue, then God is going to get you, right? Or you got to feel like God's always watching you, like he's always after you, or I always feel like somebody's watching me kind of thing, right? You'd think he would think that there's going to be some kind of consequence or he would let you know. Instead, he says that you died to sin. In other words, sin is dead to you. Uh, I might be able to explain it with a story. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been to Applebee's? Anybody ever been to Applebee's in here? Um, I used to love Applebee's, just so you know. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, we were doing like a, one of our anniversary trips, and uh, we flew down from Ohio to Melbourne to visit some friends, and one of the friends wanted to go to Applebee's. Well, I had, um, I had a specific thing that I always ordered from Applebee's, and it was their appetizer. You guys probably know it, where you get all of this, the things, right? Like you get the chicken wings, and you get the celery, and then they give you uh, like spinach dip in the middle of that. Does everybody know what I'm talking about on the appetizer, right? Okay, and so, so I went to order that, as I always did, and we had reserved the Ritz-Carlton over on the West Coast in Sarasota, okay? Now, if you remember, that same year, I don't know if you guys remember this, but they had a spinach outbreak that same year where spinach was not good for anyone to eat, okay? And I got food poisoning on the way to the Ritz-Carlton, which was one of the nice, nicest hotels we've ever stayed at, okay? And so it ruined our weekend. Like, I didn't get, a, I didn't get much money back. I didn't, I mean, Applebee's covered the meal, but no way they were going to cover Ritz-Carlton, okay, for the whole weekend. And I think they covered my little doctor bill that I had to get a shot. But awful experience. And any time I ever get invited to Applebee's, it, just so you guys know, Anytime I ever get to invite to Applebee's, there is no way on God's green earth that I will go to Applebee's. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if you do get me in there, there's no way I'm going to even see the spinach artichoke dip with the meal. I'm not going to even see it. It'll be as if it was non-existent. And that's what I want you to know. In the same way that Applebee's is dead to me. <laughs> Following me? Sin is dead to you. Sin is dead to you. Let's keep going. 
We're going to read from the Passion Translation. So shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 in the Passion, it says, what a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? In other words, you died to sin and sin died to you. We no longer operate under death, but we now operate under life. Romans 6.3, New King James, it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? Now, you may not realize this, but that chapter and about six chapters around it, he was not talking about water baptism. There was no mention of water baptism. This is actually talking about an immersion into Jesus. We have been basically immersed into Christ, okay? Um, It's a spiritual immersion. Uh, Some might think that overcoming sin is dependent on how many times we read our Bible, on how many times we pray, on how many times we go to church. I used to think that how many times I hung out with only Christians that I was avoiding sin. Some might think that you can avoid sin by renewing your mind, okay? And these are good, these are good things to do, but I believe that the sooner that you realize that we too participated in his death and in his resurrection, the sooner overcoming sin becomes a non-issue. It becomes no longer on our agenda. Verse four in the New King James, let's keep going, it says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So right now, right where we're at, we are walking in newness of life. Let's read it in the Passion Translation. That makes a little better sense. It says, we have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. This is referring to us positionally. We have been moved, like we covered last week, from Adam to Christ. Newness of life means we are under a new way of life. Uh, I'll try to explain it in this way. Um, I used to live in a couple different states. One of the states that I lived in uh, when, I, when I was first married to Ruthie was Ohio. Okay, God bless Ohio. I'm not talking bad about Ohio today. Uh, I'll talk about it bad about a different day. But Ohio, when I first moved there, I had to learn that they had a way of life out there, okay? Now, I'm from the city here in Florida. My wife is from the country in Ohio. I know you wouldn't know that looking at her, but she's from country country, okay, where they have roads, but those roads are like a path, and in order to drive down the road, and if another car's coming, you literally have to go almost all the way in the ditch to get past the other vehicle, right? And I learned this the first time, and I thought it was kind of, I was like, what do I do? And I realized the other guy pulled over to the side, so I did the other thing. And then they do this thing that us Floridians don't know anything about. They took their hand, and they went like this, right? And I found myself going, what is this new thing? I don't know. You don't wave at people that you don't know. You might get in trouble, right? And then I kept seeing it happen. Every time I pass another vehicle, they just do this thing. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is what we do. It got to the point where I loved it. I would pull over and I'm like waving at people, you know, like, and the farmers are like, no, no, Matt, you just do this. They did not do, they didn't keep up with my excitement about it, right? 
Arizona, lived in Arizona for a little while, and one of the things that they did that I call, it's the cowboy lean, okay? I'd never seen the cowboy lean until I lived there, but I realized if you ran into somebody out at a gas station or wherever, if they lean up against something, guess what you do? You have to lean up against something too. And what that is insinuating is you could be there for five minutes or you could be there for an hour. There's no telling. It's really up to the other person, okay? You guys probably know about that traveling, right? And so I just learned, it's not the same pace. It's a different custom out there. I have to learn how to work with what they do. Under Adam, sin was our responsibility, okay? We had to work on those things. Under Christ, it was his responsibility. And the good news is he took care of it, right? It was his responsibility. It's not our responsibility. Romans 6, 5, let's keep going. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, the good news is it wasn't about us dying with him, but being resurrected. And if you read Ephesians 2, not only were we, we died with him and we were resurrected, we were also co-ascended to heaven and now we are co-seated. Everybody kind of knows that, right? In Ephesians 2. Um, Let's keep going. Romans 6, 6. It says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So this is the old self. It was crucified. It says was crucified. This is past tense. This isn't a partial death. This isn't like halfway. This isn't a progressive death. This isn't, man, I hope one day that I'm able to crucify my flesh. This is dead, dead. This is like dead, dead. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. I hope you don't think I'm insensitive, okay? Try, try to take in what I'm about to say. Um, so about a year ago, um, just so you know, she's in the room, my mom, uh, but about a year ago, like July-ish, July 4th actually to be exact, I got an interesting phone call from the hospital, okay? And the hospital, it was the nurse, and she told me, she said, Matt, are you sitting down? I was like, no, but I'll sit down. She's like, I got a story to tell you. And I said, go ahead. And she said, okay, so your mom got here and uh, she had a heart attack, okay? And I was like, oh man, here we go. And she said, and she actually um, flatlined, right? She flatlined, there was no sign of life. And uh, she said, we had to resuscitate her and bring her back to life, okay? They brought her back. And she said that my mom, when she came back, she literally grabbed the nurse's hand and she goes, I'm so sorry. She said, I was just, I must have dozed off. I just took a nap and I, I didn't mean to do that, right? <laughs> and the nurse knew that she had a responsibility. She said, no, her, she knew her name. She goes, no, Liz, you actually died, right? And my mom goes, oh, well, then I just must have died. Right? <laughs> And I want you to know that you actually died. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. We have to remind each other that we actually spiritually died when we united with Christ. Are you following me? Galatians 2.20, it says, my old identity, this isn't the passion, has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives this is going to sound weird, but I used to love crucifying my old self. I used to love to crucify the old me. I, you know, I think the struggle is real. The struggle is real, man. But I want you to know the struggle ain't real. 
Most Christians struggle to live the Christian life because they don't know that they've died with Christ. Romans 6, 7, let's keep going. It says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. For he, it says, for he who has, for he who has what? For he who has fasted and prayed has been freed from sin? No. For he who has resisted the devil for three hours has been freed from sin? No. For he who has crucified their own flesh has been freed from sin? No. It says, those who died have been freed from sin. Colossians 2.20, let's keep rolling, Passion Translation. For you were included in the death of Christ and have died with him to the religious system and powers of this world. Don't retreat back. Don't retreat back, y'all. To being bullied by the standards and opinions of religion. Religion will always push it back on you. It will always tell you, no, this is actually up to you. I will see on Facebook, people make amazing posts. I just stick up for a couple buddies. I don't know if they're here, but I was like, man, you don't have to live up to the religious standards and opinions, right? 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, all died with him. Romans 8 through 10, let's keep reading. In the New King James, it says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, most of us can agree that he died for sin. Can we all agree with that, right? But it's interesting that he points out that he also died to sin. And you would ask the question, why would he do that? Why would he die to sin? It doesn't really make any sense because he was perfect. Everybody knows this, right? And, and also sin had no hold on him. So there must have been a reason that he died. The cool part is it answers this question in verse 11. It says, likewise, you also, he's going to get a little country here, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died once so we can forever reckon, so we can forever consider ourselves to be dead to sin. He died so we don't have to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Romans 6, 12, let's keep rolling. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. Can I tell you that when I stopped trying to overcome sin, when I stopped trying to defeat sin in the flesh, it became a non-issue. It's really weird. I don't know how to explain it to you. But like when you stop trying to fight sin yourself, it's amazing how it just, it just kind of goes away. Some of that stuff that you've just been wrestling with, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I will tell you, the longer you wrestle with it, the more it becomes stronger. Romans 6, 13 through 14, let's keep going. It says, and do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This, this verse, next verse I want you to, to take in, verse 14, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under, the, under grace. Now, I will tell you that years ago, when I first read this, 
Okay, when I first read verse 14, I also had heard somewhere, whether somebody said it, whether I read it somewhere, but I heard this definition of grace that says that grace is the empowerment to overcome sin. And so in my mind, I took it as all the sins that I've still been struggling with as a Christian. Now that I have grace, I'm going to be able to overcome all of those sins. I'm going to be able to avoid those sins. I'm going to be able to no longer participate in those sins, right? And I will tell you, I don't know that I believe that anymore. I don't know that I'm on that same page. I don't know that that definition really does grace very much justice, I believe that we actually are dead to sin rather than meant to overcome sin ourselves. That might take you a minute to process. It's taken me years to process. Okay, this isn't something that I came up with overnight. And I'm not saying it's easy to understand, but I'm going to say it again. It says, I believe that we're dead to sin rather than meant to overcome sin ourselves. I, I, I might be able to explain it in this way. Um, everybody knows the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, right? And so all these men throw her out in the, in the open. How awful is that? But throw her out in the open and uh, tell Jesus, they ask Jesus, they said, what do you want us to do with her? Because according to the law, we're supposed to kill her. And they all had stones in their hand. And Jesus is drawing on the ground. I think he was just trying to take time for a minute because what an awful scenario and probably trying not to react, right? And uh, I know he's Jesus, but he probably wanted to react. Uh, but he asked them, he said, he who is without sin, he said, let him throw the first stone. And then it says from the oldest to the youngest that they dropped their stones. And he looked at her and he said, he said woman, he said, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, on that note, I used to think that that meant he set her up. Okay, he forgave her past. He forgave what she just did. And now it's up to her. You, you're, you're not allowed to sin anymore. But I believe that he moved her from death to life in that moment by saying, death doesn't have any hold on you. Sin doesn't have any hold on you. You get to go as if you have never sinned in the past. You're not sinning now, and you're not going to sin because it has been removed from you. What kind of thing would it be to set her up and say, all right, no more sinning from now on. Do your best. We hope that you do. That, that wouldn't change anything from the law. That wouldn't change anything than what the Pharisees were telling her. She actually deserved to be condemned in that moment. But yet Jesus said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You guys hanging in there? It said, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace, clearly to me, grace isn't all that bad. It says that we're all under grace. So clearly it can't be that bad. Romans 6.15, the New King James, it says, what then? I like it because Paul's like, what then? right? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Here he says it again. This one threw me for a loop once again. How radical is your grace? How extravagant is your grace? If your grace that you're talking about, that you're living, doesn't cause other people to think, man, they are just wild. What they're saying Oh, man, they probably are just saying all that so that everybody can go out and do a bunch of bad things. 
If you haven't ever been accused of that, you might not be preaching the same grace. You might not be the preaching the grace that Jesus is talking about here or Paul's talking about. I used to hear you have to be careful about getting too far into one side, excuse me, one side of the ditch or the other. Have you guys ever heard that before? You got to be careful, right? Not to get too far into one ditch or the other. I heard that at Bible school. You know, you got this grace side and you got this law side. And you got to be careful. You got to stay on the straight and narrow. And I want you to know, I think Jesus did, and I know I did in my own personal life, but whatever I was driving, I drove it straight into the ditch. And I'll tell you, it was the best ditch I ever drove into. I like that ditch. I don't want to get out of that ditch. I don't want to try and go back to the law. I tried to live the law. How many of us did? We don't want to go back. I don't want to pull the truck out. That's a lot of work. No, I'd like this. I'd like this ditch. I'm going to stay in the ditch of grace, if that's what they want to call it. Oh, man. Romans 6.16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? The word righteousness, you guys know this, but it means dikaiosis or dikaios, which is just, it means righteous, it means correct, and it also means innocent. And I used to think that my obedience as a believer was completely up to me. That the only way for me to live right was for me to love God more. And every time I wasn't being obedient, I was like, what's wrong with me? I, wanna, I just want to love God more. I don't know why I can't love. And then I'd say, God, for hours, God, I'm so sorry. I thought I could love you like you wanted me to, but I just can't. Only to find out that that's not the way it works. Romans 6, 18 and the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead. I'm sorry. You guys forgive me. Uh, I thought that, that if I don't love God, or if I don't obey, I don't love God. Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that through, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart, the heart, that, fo that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Verse 17 in the Passion, we're going to read that. It's, it kind of helps it a little bit, but it says, And thanks be to God, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep, and your life is being modeled by truth through the teaching you are devoted to. I, uh, I had a conversation with Carlos. I think I, sp I spotted him in here a couple weeks ago. And one of the things we were talking about was he was explaining to me, he'd been to quite a few different churches, and he's like, man, the church is obsessed with sin. They're just so, they just want to talk about sin. They preach about sin. They have classes about sin, right? They're just obsessed with it. But this verse says that we have been delivered from being servants of sin. And now our heart is obedient, the obsession actually needs to not be about sin obedience. It needs to be, the obsession needs to be that our heart is obedient. Man, it's already, our heart has been focused on him to where even if we mess up in the flesh, right? Our heart is bent towards him. It's bent on doing good. Romans 6, 18, it says, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. There was a time where sin was in charge of our lives. There was no way out of sin, but righteousness, righteousness is now in charge of our lives. We would, you know, like if you think, well, what, should we try and run from this righteousness? Why would we do that? 
Why would we try? Why would we even want to, even if we could? Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, Zoe, about three years ago, um, she was mad at me about something. I can't even remember what it was. It was silly. Probably I wanted her to not watch so much TV or something. And she went to her room, and she kind of slammed the door, and I could hear this whole thing. Um, don't think there was neglect, okay? I could hear her, and she opens up her window. I didn't have screens in the window, and it was within 30 seconds. Um, she climbed out her window, and then she came back in. She opens the door. She runs up to me, and she says, Dad, she goes, I just ran away, and why didn't you run after me? <laughs> right? And I kind of laughed at her, you know, and I said, well, why didn't you stay away? And she said, Dad, I've got no place to go. <laughs> and I want you to know that's how righteousness is. You got no place to go. You got no place to go. Why would we try? Why would we try? You can't mistake your way into grace. And good news is we can't mistake our way out of grace. Romans 6, 19 I love it. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. It's kind of rude what he's saying there. But for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. There was a time where we thought that we could obey the law where we thought that we could fight the law, but all of us know that we fought the law and the law won. Do I need to sing it? Sorry, that's why we got these guys up here. Um, we tried to die to ourselves only to find out that the letter kills. In the same way, we, get, we give, our, give yourselves to God so he can make you holy. And all of us know that he has made us holy. Romans 6.20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Uh, I see on YouTube all the time um, different promotional uh, sermons and stuff. And it, you'll see like winning the war on sin. How to win the war on sin how to win the war on this sin, and how to win the war on this sin. But I want you to know there is no winning the war on sin because we were slaves to sin, right? We were bound to sin, and there was no possible way for us to ever win that war. I think of it um, when I used to go to uh, Canada on fishing trips. This is no offense to Bob and Dorothy, but I used to go on trips to Canada, and uh, when I went there, I realized really quick that my rights and my access as a U.S. citizen, I had no possible way to access those in that country, right? Basically, I was free of my rights and privileges of, to the U.S. And I want you to know, when we were in sin, we could not access righteousness. We didn't have that capability. That's what this verse is saying. When we were in sin, we had no way to make ourselves righteous. But now that we are righteous, we can't access sin like we used to. Does that make sense? We've been moved from the country of sin and into the country of righteousness. Amen? Just going to read through these real quick. Romans 6.21 
It, uh, it says, what fruit did you have then and the things of which you are now ashamed? For the, the end of those things is death, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to tell you a, a quick story. I think we have a picture. How many of you guys watch Marvel? Does anybody watch Marvel um, in here? I have a quick, do you guys remember uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye? If you haven't watched it, I'm sorry. I'm going to do a little spoiler alert. We're go I'm going to ruin the movie for you real quick, okay? If you haven't watched it, well, there's been years. It's your fault, okay? <laughs> um, go watch it. Uh, and I stole this from Escape to Reality, in case you're wondering where I got it from. Uh, but it says, I was reminded of furious love while watching the Avengers Endgame movie. In the movie, Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. the Black Widow, and fellow Avenger Hawkeye are sent to retrieve a magical infinity stone. This stone is needed to resurrect half the universe. Our two heroes meet a creepy guardian who informs them that the cost of the stone is the life of a loved one. Rather than dispute the shocking offer, um, Natasha and Hawkeye argue over who will make the sacrifice. Each wants to die so the other may live. This is the conversation they have. Natasha says, we don't get that, if we don't get that stone, billions of people stay dead. Hawkeye says, then I guess we both know who it's got to be. She responds, I guess we do. Hawkeye says, I'm starting to think we mean different people here, Natasha. And she says, the last five years, I've been trying to do everything to get here. It's all about bringing everybody back. Hawkeye says, now don't you get all decent on me. Natasha says, you think I want to do it? I'm trying to save your life, you idiot. Hawkeye says, yeah, well, I don't want you to. How's that? Natasha says, you know what I've done. You know what I've become. That was Hawkeye. He says, I don't judge people on their worst mistakes, is what she responds with. And Natasha and Hawkeye must choose who dies, and the obvious choice, it would seem, is Hawkeye. Hawkeye has become a cold and calculated murderer. He is a sinner with blood-stained hands, and using the same logic by which he has dispatched wicked men, Hawkeye judges himself as deserving of death. You know what I've done. You know what I've become. And she has no interest in condemning her friend for his mistakes. I'm trying to save your life. Refusing to listen, Hawkeye knocks her down and runs to the cliff edge and leaps to a certain death. Yet wonder of wonders, Natasha leaps after him and saves him before falling to her own death. It is a breathtaking and totally unexpected exchange. The sinner as good as dead, is rescued at the last moment by the sacrifice of a friend, and as good as dead, yet saved. Her death must rate as one of the top movie deaths of all time, and it provides a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. Consider all of us like Hawkeye have gone astray. We may not have been murderers, but we have stained hands nonetheless. We've lied, envied, coveted. We've bickered and fought. We have wounded people with our words and hated them in our hearts. We have fallen short. But Jesus, the friend of sinners, does not ju judge us by what we have done. Even your worst is no match for his grace. Step back from the precipice says Jesus, let go of your sins for all is forgiven. I have carried the sentence to death. We have moved from death 
to life. We have moved from unrighteousness to now the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't let sin be a stressor to you anymore. It's not for God. <laughs> Amen? Let me pray, everybody, and we're going we're gonna to let you guys go and, and eat. But, Father, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for, oh, just helping us to remember that we are yours. And we get to be called what you've called us, God, which we are righteous. We are right before you, God. There's nothing that we could do to move us from that righteousness. And there's nothing we could have done to ever get into the righteousness. It was by your very son that you sent. And we trust you today, God. Help us to remember those things. We love you. Everybody said.